Welcome, my friends, to Be Formed, Season 6, Week 10. This week, we're going to be talking about the theological virtue of faith with Bishop Peter Smith, the Auxiliary Bishop of Portland, Oregon. So the last four weeks, we've covered the cardinal virtues of prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance. Now, the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about the theological virtues of faith, hope, and love. I was able to meet Bishop uh, Peter Smith uh, last year and uh, very impressed with his keen uh, mind and also his uh, great sense of humor. So let's listen to Bishop Peter as he talks about the theological virtue of faith. Blessings to you all and welcome to this module on the B-Form series. I'm Peter Smith. I'm the Auxiliary Bishop for the Archdiocese of Portland and Oregon. Yes, that Portland. So today what we're going to do is introduce the theological virtues. So we'll look at two paragraphs from the Catechism 18, 12, and 13, which introduce the three theological virtues. And then we'll look at 18, 14, 18, 15, and then 18, 16, where we will look at the virtue of faith. So let us begin by looking at uh, paragraph 18, 12. The human virtues are rooted in the theological virtues, would adapt man's faculties for participation in the divine nature. So right there you have something that's very clear. So we can't do this ourselves, but God seeks to draw us into participation in himself. That's an amazing thing when you think about it. God wants to draw us into participation in his own nature. For the theological virtues relate directly to God. They dispose Christians to live in a relationship with the Holy Trinity relationship, relationship with God. Remember, Jesus at the Last Supper says to the apostles, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends, relationship. And then the text continues, they have the one and triune God for their origin, motive, and object. Very important. So origin, they, become, they come from God. Motive, the reason for existing, and is to draw us back to God. So it's the circular movement God gives to us, motivates us, and leads us back to God and to that participation in the divine nature of God. What an incredible promise for us. In 1813, we read, The theological virtues are the foundation of Christian moral activity. They animate it and give it, give it its special character. They inform and give life to all the moral virtues. So in other words, these are foundational and even more important, when we talk about the moral life, so often we think about the moral life as dealing with uh, do's and don'ts and sexual morality and these things. But when the church talks about moral life, it's all the things that we do and why we do. What are our motives? Why do we do what we do? Why does the church call us to live this way? And the morality of the church involves the life of the believer. This is how we are called to live. 18.13 continues, talking about these three theological virtues. They are infused by God into the souls of the faithful to make them capable of acting as his children and of meriting eternal life. They are the pledge of the presence and action of the Holy Spirit in the faculties of the human being. Two powerful statements. God infuses them into us. In other words, we don't have these in our lives. So 
God, in his love and mercy and kindness for us, infuses these into our lives. And God does this through the sacrament of baptism, through other sacraments, and through other moments in our life where these virtues are deepened by the grace and gift of God. But they are infused into us. In other words, they come from without and they're fused like you. You place something in us. God places this capacity within us so that we can come back to him. And they are the pledge of the presence and action of the Holy Spirit in the faculties of the human being. So they remind us that the Holy Spirit is given to us to help us live as Jesus calls us to serve as Jesus serves and continue his mission in this world. And we have that gift of the Holy Spirit. And we see that in the lives of the apostles and the disciples. If you look at the life of Jesus before Pentecost, what does Jesus do in his public ministry? He heals the sick. He raises the dead. He cures all kinds of people. He performs miracles. He casts out evil spirits. He proclaims the good news. What do we see the apostles and disciples doing after Pentecost? Not before, but after Pentecost, we see them doing the same things by the virtue of the Holy Spirit in their lives. So this is a wonderful pledge and a reminder to us. And the text concludes this, this particular paragraph, 1813. There are three theological virtues, faith, hope, and charity. And there's a footnote there to, to Paul's letter to the Corinthians where Paul writes, so faith, hope, and love remain, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So why is the greatest of these love? Because the heart of the relationship of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is a relationship of love. And the Lord invites us to participate in that relationship of love in the divine nature. And he gives us the means, the grace, the Holy Spirit, these theological virtues and the other virtues to help us grow in that relationship. And ultimately, God willing, we live with him forever. So now we're going to move on to paragraph 1814, in which we look at the theological virtue of faith. So faith is the theological virtue by which we believe in God and believe all that he has said and revealed to us and that the Holy Church proposes for our belief because he is truth itself. Jesus reminds us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we need faith to believe in the truth. We need faith to believe in Jesus Christ. There's a wonderful moment in, in the Gospels when uh, Jesus makes the point of, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you cannot have life within you. It's in John's Gospel. And uh, people lo were looking at this and listening to this. A lot of his followers are like, this is crazy. We're out of here. And so Jesus turns to Peter and says, are you going to leave me too? And Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of everlasting life. Did Peter understand what Jesus meant? No. But Peter knew Jesus and had faith in Jesus, even though he didn't understand. So he stuck with Jesus, as did the others. So there's a great example of how we need that gift of faith, even though we don't understand. We need that gift of faith to help us respond to the grace of God that God pours out in our lives, that God reaches out to us, that we need to respond. 1814 continues. 
By faith, man freely commits his entire self to God. That's a very important text because God has given us freedom, free will. God gave us to us to our very first ancestors. They misused it, so we have sin in the world and, and evil and wrongdoing. But nonetheless, God gives us his freedom. When God sought to reconcile humanity to himself, he didn't do it by a power play. He did it through Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, taking on our form and living in our life, living in our world, living in our midst. And God revealed himself in a way that allows us our freedom to choose how we respond. It's amazing that God does this. God loves us so much that he's even willing to let us choose against him for eternity so that he knows that those who choose for him are doing so out of love, friendship, and affection because we have put our faith in the Lord. And God gives us the means by which we can respond in faith, but we choose whether we're going to do that. It's up to us whether we decide we are going to put faith in the Lord or not. And it's a challenging moment because for us as human beings, we really want to know the end game. It's interesting when people are praying through important decisions in their lives, how you approach it. Because you can, you can approach this and say things something like, Lord, show me with your will. But what we really are saying is, Lord, let me know what the plan is here, and then I'll decide. So who's in control? Me. I'm in control. It's a very different approach when we say, Lord, I surrender myself to you. Whatever you invite me to do, I intend to do. So who's in control there? The Lord is. And we are free. And we have that freedom in responding. So God gives us that freedom to respond because he wants us following him out of love, friendship, and affection. Because then he can really make us his sons and daughters, brothers and sisters of Jesus and one another, and part of that great family of faith in the church. If we following him out of coercion or duress, you never have any of that. So how can we participate fully giving of ourselves to the Lord and him giving himself to us? When I do weddings and uh, also uh, commitments to religious life, I usually remind the couple or the individual making the commitment or the individuals, if there's more than one, that we are never completely free until we're all in. When we're all in, that's when we have the greatest freedom to put everything we have into living this way that we have chosen. So God gives us this freedom and he protects that freedom. And that's a wonderful, wonderful thing that God does for us. In De Verben 5, which is one of the footnotes here, by the way, some if you look at the catechism, the, the two most frequently quoted documents in the Catechism are the Scriptures and then documents of Vatican II. So you just see this throughout the footnotes. So De Verbum is one of the documents of Vatican II, and it's the document on the Scriptures, the Word. De, the Word of God, Verbum, De Verbum. So it's one of the four major texts that came out of Vatican II. And in De Verbum number five, I'm just going to read a part of it for you. It says, to make this act of faith, the grace of God and the interior help of the Holy Spirit must precede and assist moving the heart and turning it to God. 
opening the eyes of the mind and giving joy and ease to everyone in assenting to the truth and believing in it. To bring about an even deeper understanding of revelation, the same Holy Spirit constantly brings faith to completion by his gifts. So this is the pledge of the Holy Spirit to help us grow in faith because we don't just get it all at once. We have to grow in faith and relationship. And you see this in the lives of the apostles and disciples, how they grow in faith in the life of Jesus. All the way through until after Pentecost, 11 of the 12 abandoned him at the foot of the cross. One of them, Peter, denies him three times. Another, Judas, betrays him. Only one is at the foot of the cross, John, because he was too young to be a threat to the soldiers. <clears throat> they go from all of this after Pentecost and the Holy Spirit working in their lives to fearless proclaimers of the gospel and fearless witnesses to Jesus Christ and how he calls us to live. So we have this pledge of the Holy Spirit to help us continue to grow in our life of faith and to deepen our faith. You know, we, we, in anything, we begin at one, a particular point and then we begin to grow. And as we grow in our relationship, if you think about human relationships, particularly ones that are deeply important to us, we grow in faith and we grow in that relationship. And God works in our life similarly. So 18.14 continues. For this reason, the believer seeks to know and do God's will. The righteous shall live by faith. Living faith works through charity. And there you see the connection back to 1 Corinthians 13. So faith, and hope, faith, hope, and love remain, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Now we move to 1815. In this paragraph, we read, the gift of faith remains in one who has not sinned against it. That's a challenging text because it reminds us of our freedom that we can have this gift of faith, but it's not guaranteed. We can sin against it and we can lose it. Think about our human relationships. Um, some folks have entered into marriage, others into religious life with all this wonderful promise of what is to come. And sometimes we can sin against that and it ends that relationship. So we are free even as we are going through this process. So that faith remains if we haven't sinned against it. And the church is very conscious of this. And so that's why the church has the sacrament of reconciliation to help us be reconciled with the Lord and the faith community as we live our lives of faith. But faith apart from works is dead. It's a very strong statement that we get there. When it is deprived of hope and love, faith does not fully unite the believer to Christ and does not make him a living member of his body. Very, very important. As James says in his letter, for just as a body without a spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. So faith, which is a relationship with God, faith issues forth and works. So think about it from our own human relationships. You know, when we begin a relationship with somebody, we owe, or a group of people, we open our lives to them and they open their lives to us. And we make one another part of each other's lives. That's why some of us can recount stories of people who have fallen in love 
And it's like a complete personality or character change comes over them <clears throat> because love has changed them. But what it also does is you see them now acting differently. You see people starting to love what the person or persons that they are loving, what they care for and what they love, even though they never did it before. And that's where you see faith, this faith, this living faith, this relationship then leads to giving of oneself. God does this with us. And when we enter into this relationship with God, God start, gives of himself to us and we are called to respond in the same way. So that's where the scriptures remind us faith has to issue forth in action, in charity and in other things. In one sense, it's like a river flowing along and you put a dam across the river. <clears throat> and the water behind the dam builds up, but it becomes much more stagnant. And that's what happens to us when we bottle up our faith in the gift God has given us, because it's not just for us. God gives us all these things uh, to bless, to help us grow in, life, in, in relationship with him, but also that others may also be blessed and that we begin to become his witnesses. God does, doesn't give us all of this so that we can sit down and, and console ourselves about how blessed we are. God gives us all of this, these, the gift of his Holy Spirit, the, the theological virtues, the other virtues. He gives us all of this so that we can begin to become his witnesses. We can become, begin to become his disciples. We can begin to become his friends in this world. The text continues, For this reason the believer seeks to know and do God's will. So we want to know God's will because that helps us in how we live. And all of this works together to help us to do that. The text here continues in 1815. When, when it, in other words, faith is deprived of hope and love, faith does not fully unite the believer to Christ and does not make him a living member of his body. In Lumen Gentium, which is another one of the documents of Vatican II, we read, God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. God has poured out his love in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Therefore, the first and most necessary gift is charity, by which we love God above all things, and our neighbor because of him. We now come to paragraph 1816. The disciple of Christ must not only keep the faith and live on it, but also profess it, confidently bear witness to it, and spread it. All, however, must be prepared to confess Christ before men and to follow him along the way of the cross amid the persecutions which the church never lacks. That is so true in our age with the persecutions that we have faced in the church and the challenges that we face in a world that's becoming more and more secular. In the past, we had a culture that had Judeo-Christian values in it. Now those have been stripped out. And so we have to be more intentional um, in how we live our life as Catholic Christians. The service and witness to the faith are necessary for salvation. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. 
But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. And here you see the text very clearly quoting from the scriptures, um, from Matthew in that case. Faith is very important for us in this life. Three work together, faith, hope, and love. Faith is the foundation by which we respond to the gift of grace that God gives us. In the next two weeks, you will be hearing more about hope and love, or as we call it, charity, um, in, as a theological virtue, and we live our lives of faith. As the text reminds us, service of and witness to faith are necessary for salvation. What does Jesus say to the disciples before he ascends? You will be my witnesses and go and make disciples of all nations. So what is a witness? Witness is somebody who testifies to what they've seen, heard, experienced, and been through. Everyone is a witness. We do it all the time. We tell people what we've been through. We tell people what we've seen and heard. We tell people what we know and what our experience is. And we're called to be witnesses like that for the life of Christ and the faith community, the Catholic Church that he's called us to be part of. Every one of us can do that and be his witnesses. Saint Paul VI, Pope Paul VI, in his document, Evangelii Nuntiandi, announcing of the good news to the world, had this wonderful little statement in it where he said, modern man, he's old school, so he, modern man listens more readily to witnesses than he does to teachers. And when he listens to teachers, it is because they are witnesses. May the Lord bless you as you reflect on all this. May he strengthen your faith and may he make you bright and shining witnesses to his life within you and his good news for a world around us that so desperately needs it. Thank you, Bishop Peter Smith, on that great talk on the theological virtue of faith. I want to encourage everyone to do their Lectio Divina this week. It's on Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 to 11. The first line, I could just spend an hour on this line. It says, faith is confidence assurance concerning what we hope for and conviction about things we do not see. There it's speaking about that theological virtue. It goes on to talk about the faith of Old Testament figures like Abel, Enoch, uh, Noah, Abraham, and Sarah. So spend time praying with the scriptures this week and maybe discussing that in your small group. A reminder, this Thursday, March 16th, we have our large group gathering here at St. Isaac Jogues. Adoration, we'll have a witness speaker. I'll be talking about the life and virtues of St. Patrick. We'll finish the Holy Hour with benediction, and then we'll have refreshments in the Parish Center. It will be live streamed. You can go to sij.net and then go to the media and special event live stream. This uh, past Friday was day 60 of our 90 days, so I want to encourage you to revisit your commitment cards, evaluate yourself in each one of those categories, and Maybe pick out two or three of those numbers that are 9 or 10 that you're having a hard time with and focus on them these last 30 days. Check in with your prayer partners. Easter is approaching quickly. 
And what we're praying for is this transformation in Christ, that on Easter Sunday, we're in a different place than we were 90 days ago. Next week, we'll be talking about the theological virtue of hope with a surprise bishop guest. And let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the gifts that you give us. Increase our faith. Help us to believe in you. Help us to have this confidence, confident assurance concerning what we hope for and a conviction about things we do not see. Teach us how to pray. Help us to believe. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Have a blessed week, everyone, and uh, we'll see you next week.